earlier in my business, I did not have the freedom to do that. And I think that that's normal and you shouldn't necessarily feel bad about having to say yes to something that maybe is not your favorite type of work, your favorite type of project, because when you've got bills to pay, guess what? Sometimes you just got to pay your bills. Erin Flynn is one of my favorite people to talk to. We are in a mastermind group together and her insight and approach is always helpful and appreciated. Today, we're talking about how she's managed to build a business around literally working two to four hours a day. Recently, she tweeted that she worked one-fourth the normal job hours and still hit her income goal. We're going to talk about how she does that and how you can do it too. Then we'll chat a bit about a big change we're both getting ready for this summer. Before we get started, I want to tell you about my online membership and community creator courses. So I know that when you want to learn something new, the natural thing you probably do is go to Google or YouTube. I do the same thing. And that's really great for one-off projects. I uh, used a YouTube video to learn how to change a light switch in my house. Uh, But I am not a big fan of YouTube for learning new skills, right? Because there are lots of videos on every topic. But which one is best and who do you trust? What order do you even watch the videos in and will you get the support you need? These are all things that YouTube or other potentially free videos can't do for you. So uh, I started Creator Courses a few years ago with the idea of uh, just putting online courses out there. And I decided to morph it into a membership last year. So Uh, Stop wasting your time hunting and pecking for the right learning resources and tools. Over at Creator Courses, you can become a member and take all of the courses that we have to offer uh, included in that membership. And those courses focus on everything from just basic WordPress up to learning how to build websites without code, something you don't necessarily need to do uh, in this day and age. And... All of the courses are developed by me. Uh, And if you listen regularly, you know that I've been a developer for decades at this point. And uh, I have lots of experience building websites. I'm a teacher at heart and I've created courses for LinkedIn learning and things like that. So uh, on top of the courses, we're also a community and members get access to forums and Slack and office hours with me. And so I just wanted to let you know about that and encourage you to join if you haven't already. Uh, Listeners of the show, exclusively for listeners of the show, you can save 15% on all memberships, including the lifetime membership. All you have to do is visit creatorcourses.com slash build. That's creatorcourses.com slash B-U-I-L-D. Thanks so much. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, How did you build that today? My guest is a repeat offender. She's a good friend of mine. Her name is Erin Flynn. She is a small business owner and educator. Erin, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. You were one of my favorite guests from the early days, so I'm glad to have you back. And uh, since then, we we joined a mastermind group together. So that was, I think I found you via Jackie D'Elia's podcast. And now I talk to you. I, I talk to you much more regularly than I talk yeah, to Jackie. Yeah, you can't get rid of me now. I know, right? It's just like all the time. So, And I, I saw Jackie at WordCamp US 2019. But uh, Jackie, if you're listening, I hope you're doing well. I'm so, so jealous because Jackie, if you're listening, I still want to meet you in person. <laughs> oh, snap. Uh, <laughs> see that? So it's, it's got to happen. Um, I, don't, I don't know if either of us will be making it to WordCamp US this year for reasons we'll probably get to later in the show. Uh, But today we are talking about uh, how you can work less as a freelancer or or not overwork yourself, right, through kind of working smarter, not harder. Uh, And this is something that I believe Erin does very well. So, uh, Erin, why don't you tell us all a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am probably best known in the WordPressy type of community for being a recommended Genesis developer and making websites for other small business owners. But from that, I've also transitioned into educating both web designers and general freelancers in how to run their businesses, but doing that without working 
all of the time, which is a problem that so many of us have early on in our businesses and cannot seem to break away from because we get in this constant cycle of client work and then hunting for clients and trying to juggle everything all at once. And so I'm really trying to help everybody I possibly can not do that anymore. Yeah, right. And it sounds like a grind, right? Because you're working on freelance work. I know early on, I would never really think about my pipeline until it was like dried up. Um, And even sometimes I fall into that. Like, I think it'll just keep coming because I set up some good systems. But um, that's that's a problem, right? We're either working on work or trying to get work. So um, maybe we can just like dive right into it. What are what what is your workflow like for working with clients as well as keeping the pipeline full? So one of the things I'm actually trying to do now is work with clients less and focus more on my students. But it seems the more I try to step away from client work, the more clients I get. So maybe that's a quick tip. And is <laughs> if you don't if you don't have clients lined up, pretend you're not going to take any more on. <laughs> They'll just be like pounding on your door. But generally, what I try and do is I try to only work with one to two clients at a time so that I'm able to give them really great attention. And I do charge premium prices for that. But that also gives me enough free time to look for future clients, to go to networking events, to do email outreach, to just have conversations with people and get clients booked out several months in advance. So when you're able to do Um, only a few client projects at a time, you have that ability to uh, do a little bit of marketing, even if it's only a couple hours per week, without feeling this huge stress of, oh no, where's my next client coming from? Um, It just becomes part of your routine. So every Monday, you send a couple emails or feelers out, or you have a coffee chat with somebody, and you make a connection that then leads to future client work. Yeah, I think that's a really good piece of advice, right? Because it's, it's, I always used to do like field of dreams marketing, right? Like if you build it, they will come. But I mean, it's not, you're not in a cornfield in Iowa. Um, and uh, you really need to put yourself out there, right? You can't just put up a website and hope people will come. So I really like that. You, so uh, the main tip here is you are kind of, you're managing your time in such a way that you, box out time to work with clients, but you also carve out a few hours a week to to do specifically outreach. Exactly. And that's one of the things that um, I think is so important as, you know, someone like a freelancer or someone who's, um, you know, doing a, a service-based business is if you don't have that time in your weekly schedule to do marketing, but not just to do marketing, not just like randomly peruse Facebook and call it marketing, but to actually (laughs) do marketing and do that outreach, um, then you're always going to be finishing client work and having that panic of having nothing else lined up, which is where you get those big dips and that roller coaster ride of the feast and famine cycle, which is what we want to try to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. And, And we kicked off this year and this season uh, talking to Jason Resnick specifically about that. So um, if you haven't listened to his episode, definitely do that when you're done with this episode, of course. Um, but I think that uh, kind of what you said, right? Avoid the feast and the famine. Um, farmers don't say at the like when they run out of food, oh man, we've run out of food. Now we need to grow more food because uh, that's going to take time. They know that they need to start growing and cultivating more food before they run out. And it's it's the same way, right? Because it's not like on Monday you say, I need a new client. And then on Tuesday, you have that new client. It's going to take some time. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> it does take some time, especially uh, to build up some of those relationships because initially you can tap into basically anybody that you know and kind of get client work. And you can actually get it pretty quickly if you're directly asking like your friends or family mm-hmm. for referrals. However, they are likely not your ideal clients <laughs> that are being sent to you that way. Um no matter how specific you are, you're going to get like your great aunt wanting a website <laughs> or something like that, which is totally fine when you're new because you need the experience. But as you progress through your business and as you niche down and know who you want to target, it's much more important to make useful connections and ask those connections for referrals as well as just kind of expand that network. So when you put out that you have availability, people are like, okay, 
Erin's available in two months. I need to get on her schedule now. I need to contact her now. And that only happens, unfortunately, over time. Yeah, for sure. And uh, like you said, you know, useful connections. How important is it to um, to niche down or niche down? Because um, you said like your friends and family, they probably aren't your ideal clients, but they're kind of how you figure out who your ideal clients are, right? <laughs> they're mostly how you figure out who you don't want to work with. <laughs> <laughs> um, no more websites for friends or family. Um, mm-hmm. but, for sure. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but as true as that is, you actually... Um, it is actually really, really useful to get those quote unquote bad projects early on so that you understand the type of person that you love working with. Um, and that, again, is just totally part of the process. I, as soon as you can niche down, that's great. But a lot of us don't actually know at the very beginning who we want to work with, who our actual ideal client is, even if we have in our head or on paper, who we think that is, it may not be that person in reality. However, as soon as we kind of figure out who we don't want to work with and then kind of like use that to shape who we do want to work with, that niching is so important because it makes all of your marketing so much clearer. It's so much easier to say, I make websites for course creators, for example, and then you know exactly what their problems are. You can solve those problems. All of your marketing can talk about solving those problems. That makes it so much easier, not only for yourself, but for people to refer you where if you have a friend, Bob, and he meets a course creator who needs a new website, somebody can be like, you know what? Joe's the person to go to for websites for course creators. That is the best way you can do your marketing, because if you're just like general websites, that means nothing (laughs) absolutely solves no problems. And it's going to only attract those low budget clients who quote unquote need a website, (laughs) which is not really a good target market at all. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, uh, like low budget, low budget is one thing, but usually the I just need a website clients are also the ones who need the most handholding. And if you're not, if you're not prepared to do that, now you're working for less money and working more hours, right? And that's exactly what we're trying to avoid here. Completely. That is, unless you want to be a business coach for like $500 for a four-month project, you don't want those clients who only want a website. That's just, I mean, everybody starts somewhere, but that is not where you're going to be making a good amount of money while working those fewer hours at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, um, so you mentioned um, it, solving problems, right? Which is essentially like what you're doing, right? Because again, if you're just saying like, hey, I make websites, I'll make websites for whoever wants uh, a website. Great. Like Squarespace can also do that. And you're not really adding value there. But solving problems is exactly where you add that value, right? Exactly. When you can solve someone's problem, when they say, Um, For example, I need more clients in my business. I need more clients buying my courses. I need more students, right? A website can really solve those problems if you design it strategically. If you know um, what that niche needs and you can design a website that funnels people into becoming a student, then that is what people want to pay for and they're willing to pay a whole lot more for that. But not only that, when you have niche down that way, when you understand those problems, you also come up with a process that allows you to uh, not spend all of this time trying to reinvent the wheel with every single website you're making, with every single project that allows you to have a set structure, which means, you know, how much it's going to cost, how long it's going to take, uh, about how much work is involved. Of course, there are always small variations, Mm -hmm. but that's going to allow you to actually schedule your projects correctly. It's going to allow you to deliver a better product to your clients. And it's going to mean you don't have to work nearly as much because everything is kind of running like clockwork. I love that. Um, Putting the right systems in place, right? Uh, Shannon Schaefer talked about that earlier in the season too. So you're like totally reinforcing Everything that hopefully, uh, dear listener, you've learned up until this point, which is fantastic, um, because it is important to uh, put a system in place to make sure you have people coming in to not spin your wheels on on problems that you either don't need to solve or somebody else can solve, and um, and then you know find the right clients. And so, 
next week, I'll be talking to Nathan Ingram specifically about vetting clients. But maybe, uh, Aaron, you can talk a little bit about how how you do that. Like, do you have a, a form that you have people fill out? Is it an initial conversation? What's that process look like when somebody says, Aaron, I want you to build a website for me? Well, when you've gotten to the point where you are actually niche, you know who you want to work with, you know what problem you're solving, you are actually able to put together a signature service, also known as a productized service or um, just like a specific website package that answers those problems. So that actually does a ton of work in vetting the clients for you. They go to your website. If you can get in front of them, they go to your website, they see the sales page for that service and they go, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I need. This is answering all of my problems. This price sounds totally reasonable because I've been you know, struggling with this problem. And so they're already ready to say yes when they fill out the inquiry form. So you're not even really having to sell them on it at this point. They're already saying yes. And now they're kind of jumping through a couple hoops to work with you because they understand you're the best person. So this is when you get to be actually really selective about who you work with, which is always the most fun place to be because you get to work with clients that you really enjoy working with and that you can deliver the best results for because you kind of pre-screened them. Now, that said, I do have an inquiry form. I have an intro packet. I have a whole onboarding type deal that people go through, but they're already saying yes because I've already niched down and given them that signature service um, outline that they already want. Oh, I love that. And and I always, whenever I think about this specifically, I always think of those infomercials, right? Where it's like, do you have trouble opening cans or whatever? Like, And, and the person who is watching should be like, yeah, I I can't open a can to save my life or whatever. I and, can't actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so on your landing page or your website, you are teeing them up. You're saying, I understand you have this problem. Let me tell you, I, I can solve this problem for you. And they're, they're ready to go. And then you have the onboarding process where you probably talk about what exactly they need. Can you actually offer them the solution at the price you're looking for, right? So do you um so do you publish your pricing on your website? Yeah, so I do my pricing on my website um, as well as a reminder of it on the inquiry form of what the projects start at. And I think this is really important because what it will do is you might be have the solution to somebody's problem, but they may not be able to afford you. Um, and that's totally okay. Um, in a course that I have, we do the entire like kind of structure of like your main signature service. And then you would have like a step down. You would also have a step up for people who are not um, able to maybe get the actual signature service. But um, this gives them a idea of if they can afford the service, if they need to save a little bit, um, or if they maybe need to do the step down and then upgrade later. So I definitely recommend publishing starting at prices. Um, maybe not the entire, it's 100% going to be this mm-hmm. price because there are always slight variations. Sometimes some clients need more handholding, in which case you should factor that into the price. Uh, you know, a couple extra phone calls or like almost coaching sessions with them mm-hmm. to make them understand, you know, what's going on. That's totally okay to do just as long as you are paid for that um, and you're able to work it into your schedule in a way that works for you so that you're not, you know, spending 80 hours a week on one client who's not paying you enough to uh, afford your mortgage payment. Today's episode is brought to you by Smile and their product, Text Expander. Save time typing and boost your productivity with Text Expander. You know I'm all about automation and Text Expander is a great way to get started with automation. It allows you to create your own snippets for repetitive text you tend to use everywhere. Add the text, create a snippet, and boom, save precious time and keystrokes. One of my favorite snippets is for my address. So instead of typing out my full address and risking typos, I simply type dollar sign A-D-D-R and Text Expander does the rest, filling in my full address for me. I also have snippets for my street, my city, and my zip code. But that's not all Text Expander does. With its advanced snippets, you can create fill-ins, pop-up fields, and more. You can even use JavaScript or AppleScript. Another one of my favorite and most used snippets is when I type PPT. 
That will take whatever text I have on my clipboard and convert it to plain text. So I'm no longer fighting formatting when I copy from a Word document, a Google Doc, or a plain HTML page, like a website. I also use it for common links, email messages, which I can completely customize with fill-ins and drop-down menus, and even date calculations. I'm currently writing a book, and Text Expander has been instrumental with that. Text Expander is available on macOS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. So pretty much anywhere you do computing. If you've been curious about trying Text Expander or automation in general, now's the time. As a listener, you can get 20% off your first year. Just visit textexpander.com/podcast and let them know how I built it sent you. That's textexpander.com/podcast for 20% off your first year. And now, back to the show. At this point as we record this, I don't really advertise the fact that I uh, make websites. It's not really my main thing anymore, but um, you know, I'm open to opportunities and I love making websites. Um, but I always say, you know, I'm starting, I, I start at this price. That is always a, a great filter, right? Because I know at least how much I'm, I need to make on the most basic of web projects um, for it to be profitable for me. And that's important, right? Because if it's not profitable, you're working all the time. Exactly. Well, and that's one of the things so many freelancers fail to do is figure out how much money they actually need to make, you know, per month or per year, and then figure out how many projects they need to do. So they underprice themselves, then they have to work with something like 50 or 100 clients per year, which is just absolutely not realistic if you are a freelancer. You would be spending all of your time marketing and have no time to do any of the actual work. Yeah, that and that's another really interesting thing to me, right? Is that if you're going to strike out on your own and start your own business, you really need to know how much uh, you you can make, right? You you don't go into a job interview and just be like, I don't know, like whatever you want to pay me, or maybe people do. You shouldn't do that either, though. Like you should know how much you, your salary should be. Um, and the same thing goes for when you are freelancing, you need to know how much money you need to make to make ends meet and a little bit more because you have business expenses. Um, So do you have any recommended resources for people who might want to figure that out? Um, If not, I have one in mind. Um, If you have one in mind, that's great. I teach this in my program, but I don't have a free resource. Okay. Uh, There's like an hourly rate calculator. I'm pretty sure. Maybe Maybe it's gone. If it's not gone, I'll put it in the show notes, which you can find over at howibuilt.it. I'm sure, Erin, uh, we'll talk about exactly what you offer in a little bit, but um, I'm sure you will get a much better service from Erin because she'll understand you more, right? She's not just like a spreadsheet. Um, awesome. So, so once you know how much you need to make and who your ideal client is, what happens if, if uh, someone comes to you and they're like, you know, I know you don't really do this, but... I need this from you and I want to hire you. Do you say do you say no a lot? How hard is it to say no? How important is it to say no? Um currently I say no a lot, but earlier in my business I did not have the freedom to do that. And I think that that's normal and you shouldn't necessarily feel bad about having to say yes to something that maybe is not your favorite type of work, your favorite type of project, because when you've got bills to pay, guess what? Sometimes you just got to pay your bills. Now, that said, if someone is like a huge red flag or it's totally out of your depth, like if somebody came to me and said, Aaron, can you do SEO for me? I would be like, "Um, absolutely not. Like, I just... It's not in my wheelhouse. It would be a terrible end end result for you. And I would, you know, spend so much time researching and trying to figure out how to do it correctly that it would probably end up not being a good expenditure of my time because it would be more worthwhile for me to instead try to get a client in what I'm good at. So it really depends on kind of the issue um, and what they're asking for. So I think saying no is a privilege at some point that you get to in your business. And we don't always, you know, you don't just magically start out with the ability to say no every time you want to, unfortunately. But when you start getting enough regular clients that you can start saying no to projects that are not something that you particularly are excited about, 
that's when you should practice saying no and start saying no as much as possible so that you really get into those projects that you love doing, you deliver the best results, and you enjoy working with that person. So it's a balance. And unfortunately, there's not a really clear black and white answer, in my opinion, of when you can say no and when you have to say yes. Yeah, yeah. I think the whole thing that we're talking about here, everything we're talking about is based on getting you to a place where you could say no, right? But if you, if, if you have only your freelance business as your form of income and you have only one lead in the past two months, um, maybe you do have to say yes to that. But like you said, if it's, if it's something that's going to cost you more in time, uh, than it's worth, then, then it's time to say no. Right. Or if you could just tell like, um, you know, I've said no to clients who definitely seemed overly litigious. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to work with you uh, because uh, you're going to ruin me. Um, or the ones who are like, oh, I've worked with like 10 different freelancers and they all disappeared on me. Right. Like that sounds like a compliment, but it's probably a red flag. It's probably a huge red flag. If you, yeah. if you have a gut feeling where somebody is going to really make you miserable or hurt you or your business in some way, I guess that is one where I would say, say no, 100%, even if they're offering you a lot of money, um, because it will end up costing you more in the long run. If on the other hand, you're just like, eh, I don't really like making websites for veterinarians or something like that, you could maybe suck it up. Just make sure that you deliver the best possible result to your client as you can. You not being excited is not an excuse to do poor work. Wow. I love that. That might be the pull quote for the episode, even though I like just marked one about saying no is a privilege. Um, but yeah, that's great. If like, even if you're not excited, you should still do your best. You know why? Because that veterinarian might know who your ideal client is and, and Word of mouth is still a really like, you know, personal referrals are still a really good way to get business, at least in my experience. Would you would you agree? I get almost entirely personal referrals. Um, I've never put that much into other marketing avenues. Um, I mean, I reach out like to people individually and email them and say, here's what I'm looking for. But again, that's a personal referral in terms of like social media. I'm not sure if I've ever actually gotten a client directly off of social media. I know people do it, but for me, the referrals are so much better because if someone says, so for example, if Joe recommends something, I already trust Joe's opinion. So if he recommends a person or a product, then I'm already like, all right, that's what I want. I'm going to buy it. Joe says it's great. So the same thing happens with, you know, someone referring a web designer or a copywriter or whatever. If you have that personal referral, it's going to make people ready to buy because they trust the person that referred you. And so the selling is so much easier as opposed to, you know, posting on Instagram every single day begging for clients. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I always thought that like Twitter would be a good lead generator for me, like especially for selling my courses. It's not like Twitter, shocker, is not a great place to establish trust. Um, it's, it's a place for people to just tell you what they think regardless of whether they read your initial tweet or not. That that thought brought to you by a real life thing that happened to me recently. Um, Twitter is, I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody, if anybody actually does Twitter marketing well, I would want to know how they do it because I honestly thought it would be great too. And all I get from Twitter is also just like other criticism and yeah. comments that I did not ask for. Yeah. I, uh, maybe I should see if Justin Wise, Justin, if you're listening, um, uh, maybe you can come on the show and talk about this because, um, at Cabo Press this, this past year, he basically experimented with like tweeting that he was offering a good deal and did close a deal via Twitter DMs. So, uh, it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. I saw it happen in real life. Um, so maybe he can come on and talk about that. Uh, either way, I'll link, I'll link to him in the show notes. Um, so, so we've kind of talked about up until this point, uh, finding your ideal client, how you can um, schedule yourself so that you're always doing some sort of outreach each week. I know that I have a goal of, of reaching out to five potential podcast sponsors every week and now five potential uh, done-for-you podcasting service people every week. Um, and so... Uh, 
we we kind of have that down. What what does your day look like? And I'm asking you specifically because I know like on certain days you work half days and and how how do you how do you make sure you you can do that, right? Because that's the big benefit of working for yourself um is that you have that freedom to knock out of work early if you if you can and you want to. I say most days I work half days. So. <laughs> I well, I didn't want to oversell that point. <laughs> I have I have typically a two to four hour work day. Um, that of course changes during launches or if there are like mm. big deadlines and things to catch up on. I'm actually, um, you and I were chatting before we started recording how kind of swamped I am because I ended up taking all of January off, not on purpose, <laughs> um, and so now I'm playing catch up with things. Um, so I am working like six hour days now. Um, which to me feels like a lot. But <laughs> typically, um, my workday consists of um, starting the morning without checking in on client stuff. That's when I have like my most creative time. And so I typically spend an hour trying to be creative, whether that's blog posts or um, other content, courses, whatever, because that's just when I, my brain works the best for that kind of stuff. Um, and then I typically check my emails and do my scheduling. And so if I have a clients um, that I'm working with actively, that'll typically take about two hours out of my day. I'll make sure I get that done. And then I have about another hour of admin stuff. If I'm not working with clients actively, I'm working with my students. And that typically is only about 30 minutes to an hour per day. So it's kind of a nice, nice little uh, break when I don't have the client work, in which case that's where my two hour days come in. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Do you remember when you started your small business? It was no small feat. It took lots of late nights, early mornings, and the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things easier? Well, my friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumbled receipts. As a side note, I actually told my accountant the first time that I used the shoebox method and his face turned white. But in actuality, FreshBooks was one of the first things I bought when I started my business. I've been a FreshBooks user since 2009. It's easily the best accounting and invoice software for small business owners like us. Create and send professional looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. Nothing is better than sending out an invoice and getting it paid in the same day. That's happened for me with FreshBooks. You can also file expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part is that FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Now, there are a lot of features on this list I have here to talk about, but I'm going to pick two of my favorites. The first is late payment reminders. They are clutch. It's one less thing that I need to worry about when making sure I get paid. I don't have to keep track of exactly when I sent the invoice. And if I already sent a follow-up email or whether or not they viewed the email, All of that is taken care of inside FreshBooks. The other feature I really like is the automated expenses. I connect my business credit card to FreshBooks and my expenses automatically get imported. They are all there, ready for me and my accountant to review. It makes tax time easier for both of us. And it's no secret that I love automation and these two features make my life a lot easier. After doing things by hand, FreshBooks is worth the price of admission just for those two things. So join the 24 million people who have used FreshBooks. You can try it for 30 days for free. No catch, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash built it and enter how I built it in the how did you hear about us section to get started. That's freshbooks.com slash built it. That's built with a T. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for supporting the show. And now let's get back to it. You use those two to four hours more effectively than most people. I know I would love to tell you that I'm like super intentional with my time 
my creative hours are in the morning too. That's when I write my book and then I have my meetings in the afternoon. But the truth of the matter is, uh, first of all, I only have meetings like one or two days a week. Um, and I try really hard to keep to that. It's not like, I'm not going to say no if the only time they can meet is like a Tuesday. But um, there's like a two-hour slump in the middle of my day where I am super useless and I'm not using my time very effectively. So, um, you know, you might be working two to four hours a day, but so am I. I'm just cooped up in my office for those two hours where I'm like trying to will myself to work because I didn't write my book in the morning. I, you know, did whatever. And now I need to finish a chapter or whatever. Well, I think one of the things that I have going for me, and again, this is kind of like a privilege stage. So with the client work that I'm doing, I'm actually excited to work on it. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, I'm looking forward to putting together a website for a client. So I don't have the same kind of slump like Mm -hmm. thing. If I do, I do try to leave my office and then come back later because I feel like that just gives my brain a break. Maybe go for a walk or like go read a book or something, like just get away from the work. So I may have a break in there. Currently, I take naps (laughs) typically (laughs) between like 12 and 2. But I think that uh, it it can all work kind of like based um, on your schedule, but trying to force things means you should just get out of the office for a little bit, even if it's 15 minutes, because it's just going to refresh your brain. Yeah, I love that. And it's, I, I, it's easier for me to do that in the summer. You're a winter sports person though, right? Like you like skiing and stuff like that. And like you live in Aspen or near Aspen or whatever. Um, I hope that that's not like secret information, but you tend to post a lot on Instagram. <laughs> no, but. it's all over everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, there's a, a podcast called Cortex. CGP Cray talks about going on think walks. And so like he had, he sets a 20 minute timer. And he goes for a walk for 20 minutes and then comes back kind of refreshed. Um, I definitely need to do more of that. So, Because uh, like writer's block is a super real thing. For those who don't know, I, I announced this somewhere, but um, I am writing a book. Hopefully by the time you hear this, I will be done writing the book. Um, but man, writer's block is a real thing when you're trying to force something. And so um, I think that's really good advice. It's totally a thing, especially like when I have maybe course content or blog mm-hmm. posts that I know I need to write. And uh, that can be definitely a struggle. But for in your case, you've got a deadline. <laughs> so right. um, that's a little bit different and that's a little bit harder to force. So when I, I would say any advice for like listeners who have those deadlines, who are trying to force it is just take a break, like get out there 15 minutes, do something else, take a shower and your brain will start working again. It's amazing. You just have to force yourself to get up from the computer and actually take that break, which is the hardest part for some reason. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Like my, uh, my brain, my wife showers at night, and I have to shower in the morning. I don't feel fully awake, so I mean, a shower might be just great. Um, if you're slumping, um, now there's another thing uh, that I wanted to ask you about, right? Because uh, we are both coming up to a point where we will be out of commission for a little while, um. And so maybe you could talk about that and then how you're preparing for that. Yeah, although this is a tough one and probably I will change how I'm preparing 50 times between now and then because I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, But we are expecting our first child in early July, maybe late June, depending Mm. on when he decides to show up. (laughs) And I know, Joe, you're expecting a baby around the same time, too. Um, And since this one's my first, I really don't know fully what to expect, except that everyone's telling me don't expect anything, (laughs) just kind of go with it. So um, what I'm trying to do is finish all client work by the beginning of June at the latest. So that way, if if he decides to show up early, um, I will not have any client work that I'm trying to wrap up. Um, I'm fully intending to take all of July completely off, no checking emails or anything. I will have a developer friend uh, check emails and cover my retainer clients for me. Um, and then I'm thinking I will just check in, you know, a couple hours a week, um, you know, after July and kind of you know, mm. step in if anything needs to be done. But I'm going to still have support for probably through September at least, um, just to make sure, you know, that things run smoothly and my clients, you know, if their websites 
all go down and get hacked or burn up in a fiery inferno. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever is likely to happen, you know, when you're on yeah. maternity leave. Of course. Um, that's, that's only when it would happen, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. that uh, someone else will be there to handle it, even if I have to, like, you know, check in and say, oops, this is broken. You know, can, can you take care of this for me? Um, I just don't want to have any of that stress. Um, in terms of courses, I'm still working all of that out because I do offer support to my students. So I'm looking at maybe bringing in some guests um, who will cover things for me while I'm gone. Um but that's still something that I'm kind of trying to work out because I'm also trying to launch a new course before the baby gets here. And I think that's probably the worst idea I've ever had. <laughs> well, if it is, then we're both uh, in the bad idea area. Because, well, first of all, congratulations. I know I've said this to you off the air, but congratulations. Very exciting. Uh, like you said, we're both expecting in July. Um, my wife is expecting. I'm expecting to become a parent of two. Um I think the advice to not really expect or assume anything is probably good. Uh, I found that everybody was willing to give me whatever advice, even if it didn't apply. So uh, my advice is to just don't really take anybody's advice. Just go with it. Um, Until you figure things like if someone's like, if, oh, my kid did this and this is what helped. Totally. But if it's like, make sure to sleep when the baby sleeps. That's the worst advice I ever got. Sorry to whoever gave that to me, but if probably it's like, everybody. Yeah, right. Uh, I couldn't do that, so you're just going to be sleep deprived for a little while. It's fine. Um, but yeah, congratulations. That's great. I also plan on taking uh, a month off, um, and I'm preparing similarly. I have a little bit more leeway um, because I can't feed my baby. Um, I'm more or less. Uh, so, um, you know, I might sneak away if mom and baby are both sleeping to do whatever, but, um, yeah, for the most part, I plan on being away from the computer, no client work. I'll communicate with my, my clients before that. Hopefully all of my courses will be launched, uh, by then though. I will say I recorded one of my courses in the month after my daughter was born, uh, because I had off from my full-time job. They gave me a month off paid. And so I worked on my course in that whole time and it was great. So maybe only being able to work a couple of hours a day was like super focusing for me. So awesome. Well, uh, we are, uh, we might be over time. We're coming up on time either way. Um, and we talked about a, a lot of things and maybe we can wrap up with, before I ask you if you have any trade secrets for us, um, maybe you can give two to three pieces of advice for that freelancer who likes everything we just said, um, but isn't sure where to start. How can they start being more intentional about the clients they get and stuff like that? So I think for that freelancer, I think it's really important to look at any past clients that you've had and make notes about what you've really enjoyed about those projects and the people and what you haven't. Now, if you're totally brand new, my advice is just like, go start working. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, you know, it's, they're not going to be your ideal client, but you've got to get some experience so that you can form those opinions and that experience and have that understanding. But if you've worked with some people before and you're trying to figure out who your ideal client really is, analyze your past clients and see what you really liked, what you didn't like, and that's going to help you narrow down. And also in terms of choosing a niche, don't think of it necessarily as an industry. Think of it as a problem that you're solving. And that's going to clarify so many more things for you. Because let's say if you choose a, a general niche, like I want to work with doctors, well, lots of different doctors are going to have lots of different problems. But if you choose a niche like um, course creators, that's a much more clear problem. They want to sell courses. And it doesn't matter whether they're doctors or artists or whatever, they still want to sell courses. They need a good course platform. They need to make sales. So that's going to clarify so much in terms of what you're offering and how you're helping your clients moving forward. That is fantastic advice. That makes me think of a book I often recommend on this show, Start with why by Simon Sinek, right? Uh, because when you're solving the problem, it's it's why are you building the website, not what are you building or who are you building it for, which is the case with if you just say doctors or whatever. 
Um, so yeah, I love that. De- definitely think about the problem you're trying to solve because um, most people don't want a thing. They want a solution to a thing. Um, and and I've I've noticed even in my courses, right? I used to say like building a website with uh, or building a podcast website with WordPress. Uh, once I changed that to like launching your podcast, way more people were interested in that because that's the problem they're trying to solve. Exactly. That clarity just makes it so much easier. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other thing that you said was to to kind of build your network. You said that you try to go to certain events. How can somebody who's maybe new to an industry find events to go to or build that network? And I'm going to have an entire episode about this, but we're talking about it now. I'd love to get your advice. Yeah. So personally, I do love conferences and I do feel like there's value in those pay to play type experiences because people who go to a conference that maybe costs a couple hundred dollars are obviously willing to invest in their business, which then means that they're more likely to be a client who would invest in their website or whatever service it is that you're selling. However, there's a lot of money that goes involved with traveling and hotels and paying for the conference itself. And not everybody has that ability to start there. So meetups are fantastic. Um, WordPress meetups are, you know, I, I run one up here in Aspen. It's great for connections. We actually have all sorts of small business owners there because we are a very small community and it's kind of like <laughs> the only place to talk about business, which is totally fine. Yeah. Um, But meetup.com, tons of free meetups. You don't have to pay a thing except maybe some gas or some transportation to go to it. Most of them are free. Um, And you can meet so many amazing people. If you're in a small town where there aren't many meetups, you can obviously start one, which is what I had to do. Or reach out to people online and have virtual coffee. So you don't have to necessarily go somewhere. You don't have to necessarily leave your house. So if you say, my town's too small, or I've got little kids and this makes it impossible, or my schedule is just crazy, right? Have virtual coffee. Find people on social media who you think would be good connections. So for a web designer, find some copywriters or some brand designers, other people who would be serving a similar audience to you. And, you know, Schedule a Zoom call, hop on there, meet them. You don't have to have this ulterior motive of we have to refer people to each other. Just start making those connections, get to know people. Some will be great people that you'll never be able to get rid of. Like Joe and I are now (laughs) stuck together forever. (laughs) Um, Others you'll be like, eh, you know, that was okay. Didn't really click. That's totally fine. There's really, if you have access to an internet connection, which you probably do because you're listening to this, you can meet other people and start building your network. It doesn't have to be a huge cost investment at all. That's all fantastic advice. I have nothing to add. So now I'm going to ask you my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? So I'm not sure if this counts as a trade secret, but this is something that I think is a good wrap up to the episode um, that a lot of people don't do, especially when they're starting their freelance business. And that's looking realistically at what they want out of their life and how their business can support it. They get this idea of, oh, I want to sell websites or, oh, I want to be a copywriter or, oh, I want to be a photographer or whatever. But what they don't do is look at how that actually impacts their life, how many hours that's going to take, how much money they're going to need, which we've talked about a little bit. They don't plan out how that's going to work in their life. And so they can end up building a business that they actually really, really don't enjoy. This is something that I did very early on in my Mm -hmm. business. Um, I had a different business. I ended up selling because it just did not fit the life that I wanted. And so it was a great business idea, theoretically, (laughs) but uh, it was just really quickly, it was a subscription box service for handmade goods, which at the time in like 2013-ish was kind of like a still fairly new novel idea. It took over my entire apartment. It had like all sorts of shipping. It had, it was ridiculous, like the amount of work that it was. Um, Again, not a bad business idea, but to have it be successful, I would have had to do a whole bunch of things I did not want to do. It did not fit my lifestyle. And so you have to be really conscious of the business you're building and always put your life and what you want out of your life first and then build the business to support that. That's absolutely fantastic. And I think you're right. Like people are like, I want to start a business to have freedom. And then they're slaves to their business instead. Um, 
when I left. Sometimes working yeah. more than a normal yeah, job. Right, exactly. Like somebody said to me uh, before I was an adult running a business, but I got out of college and I was like, I can, I can start my own business. And someone's like, why don't you get a real job? And I'm like, what do you do at your job? The one thing that you were hired to do, I do everything. That was, it's like very mean to say, why don't you get a real job? Um, but uh, it's true. You end up working a lot. And when I left my agency job, I said to myself, I'm leaving because my daughter was just born and I want to spend time with her. If I'm leaving an agency job to then just run an agency myself and live the agency life, I've done something wrong because now I've gotten rid of job security and I'm working more. So it's absolutely, that is fantastic advice um, and something that everybody should think about if they're starting their own business. So um, as a side note for subscription box services, I own the domain monthlytacobox.com. My brother and I were talking about how fun of an idea this would be, but logistically, it's ridiculous. So if anybody wants to start a taco box subscription service and wants a good domain, let me know. I'll sell it to you at a fair price. Um, <laughs> that's neither here nor there, though. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you? Uh, the best place to find me is just at AaronFlynn.com. And I link to basically every single thing that I do from that domain. Nice. That is different from the hundred or so episodes ago that you were on. I think you still had the E in your domain. Uh, back I did. Then. I finally shelled out a lot of money to get AaronFlynn.com. Wow. Nice. I am still Casabona.com is not available for sale. It's like my grail domain, but the person who owns it does not want to get rid of it. So we'll see. Maybe I'll try again in a year. Anyway, Aaron, uh, I will link to all of those things and everything we talked about over at howibuilt.it. Aaron, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joe. Thanks so much to Aaron for joining me today. As always, it is a true pleasure talking to her. I love what she said about finding clients and solving problems. The fact that she... Uh, makes her pricing public because it's a great way to weed out uh, tire kickers or just people who might not be a good fit. Uh, saying no a lot if you are privileged to do that is fantastic. And again, I think her insight is great. Congratulations to her on uh, expecting in July. I think we'll both probably have a lot to talk about for that too, as I'm also expecting my second in July. So that's it for this episode. Thanks to Yith, Text Expander, and FreshBooks for sponsoring. They are some of my favorite tools, not only for myself, but for uh, small business owners. I always, always recommend them, and I am happy to have them on board. If you'd like to learn more about them, or any of the things we talked about in today's show, you can head over to the show notes at howibuilt.it slash 159. Now, if you want to learn some more tools about uh, my own courses or anything like that, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash tools and get a free guide on five tools to help you build websites faster. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, get out there and build something.